Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Welcome back, listeners. Hey, everybody. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, I hope everyone had a safe and happy Christmas and New Year's. Uh, Just a quick reminder that starting today, um, we're going to be releasing episodes bi-weekly or every two weeks. So Amanda and I will be leading, you know, one episode each a month now. And I know we made this announcement uh, before our break in our Christmas Murders episode, but I just wanted to give everyone a quick reminder because it's been a couple weeks. Yeah, and people get caught up in the hustle and bustle of the holidays and might have forgotten yeah. so i just wanted to let y'all know we did have a couple people reach out to us yeah we did like, like, really like how? right <laughs> like, uh, i know i know and like we said hopefully we can get back to weekly at some point but we'll see we'll see and we'll keep you updated you know if it changes so without further ado let's get into today's episode today we're going to discuss the cases of two madams who died under mysterious circumstances Uh, One here in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, and one in Washington, D.C. So... I was about to say, (laughs) can you please tell everybody, because I was completely oblivious. Yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't know what a madam is, like (laughs) some of us, (laughs) yeah, I'm throwing shade at Amanda. Yeah. Because when I originally picked this episode, I texted her about it, and she was like, what is it? What do you? What is a madam? What What are you talking I thought about? That was just you know polite manners. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but there's a slang side right. to it. So anyway, a madam is a woman who procures other women for men. So basically, a madam sets up quote unquote dates for escorts or sex workers, and usually gets a portion or a percentage of their earnings. I don't know what you heard about me. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say the word. Yeah, sorry if that sounds crass, but I mean, I tried to explain it as eloquently as possible. So, so like, um, like a manager of an escort service. Yes. Yes. Is putting it lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Putting it uh, politically correct. Yes. Yeah. Because um, usually that role is a man. Usually, right? Hmm. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> Well, it's illegal, so... <laughs> okay, then, yeah. <laughs> um, my husband actually suggested this case to me uh, a few weeks ago. His boss was talking about the Baton Rouge Madam one day at work, and my husband thought, you know, we might be interested. So he wrote her name down on a sticky note and brought it home to me. And when he handed the note to me, he was like, hey, don't say I don't support you. Yeah, that's what they say. Because, you know, I tell him that he doesn't support our podcast because he doesn't listen. So that's him supporting, I guess, fraud from the back. Fraud. (laughs) You know, that's him supporting behind the scenes. So thanks, babe. But anyway, um, I originally was just going to do the episode on the Baton Rouge Madam. But when I got into the research, I found a lot of similarities between the death of the Baton Rouge Madam and the death of the D.C. Madam. Like the internet linked them for you? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Washington. Yeah, the Washington DC madam. So I decided to cover both quote unquote deaths. And I'm doing air quotes. I mean, deaths. You can't see me. But so today we're going to talk about the Baton Rouge madam, Sylvia Landry, who mysteriously died in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the mid 90s, and the DC madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey, 
who also mysteriously died in D.C. in the late 2000s. So, first we're going to discuss the Baton Rouge Madam, Sylvia Landry. And I'm just going to start by saying that there really wasn't much out there on the interwebs about this case. I mean, maybe because it's, I mean, it's older, you know, it's early 90s. But, I mean, we've done other cases that and are old. Yeah, so but, but I don't, maybe her line of work was real shady, like. Maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and I found, like, maybe two articles and I couldn't find her court records online either, although she did, you know, she went to court. Um, oh, I can't wait to hear she about went this. I have so many questions already. Right. Well, went to trial. I say court, but trial. Um, and like I said, I couldn't find the court records online, which was really disappointing. Uh, I couldn't even find a picture of Sylvia Landry online. I don't even know what this woman looks like. What? No, I don't. Oh, that's depressing. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to get my husband to ask his boss if he... And it could find me a picture of her somewhere because apparently, okay, I'm going to go off script here, but the other night we were, Ryan and my husband and I were going to bed and we were, I was talking about the case or whatever. And I was like, how did your boss know about this case? Because I cannot find much online about it at all. Dun, dun, dun. Apparently his boss's cousin was her driver. What? And he's in jail. I'm like, he's still in jail jail this just for driving her around in the 90s other things i don't know if but anyway so maybe i'll have to get my husband before to ask really his, says, yeah yeah maybe i'll have to get my husband to ask his boss if he can like find me a picture uh yeah so, that'd be nice because yeah because he was like oh yeah his um my boss's cousin you know was her driver and i was like oh my god maybe i can interview him and he's like well he's in jail so and oh. i was like Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'd let me do an interview from jail. So, yeah. anyway. So, yeah, I couldn't find much. Um, like I said, I couldn't even find a picture of her. Um, That's so depressing. Yeah. Um, and there was a TV show episode that aired around 2001 about this case. It was on an A&E show called City Confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode was titled Scandal on the Bayou. Those dang bayous, I tell you. I know. But I literally could not find this streaming anywhere. Like, it just does not exist in the world of streaming, which was so super AD, disappointing. Oxygen. Nothing. No, I, I'm, I'm giving them a shout out. Like, uh, can you please make this content available? <laughs> right. Uh, but I was able to find a blogger who kind of summarized the episode. So that's what I'm using for bits and pieces of this. So maybe just take it with a grain of salt. Um, I hate that I couldn't find more, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, the blog was called Alex Constantine's Blacklist, mm-hmm. and I'll put the link in the sources uh, in our show notes. Um, the blog actually mentioned Sylvia Landry in a post that was mostly about the D.C. madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey. So Sylvia Landry was a well-known madam in Baton Rouge in the early 90s. She opened three escort services, Dial-A-Date, Cosmopolitan, and Charlie's Angels. Oh. And dial a date. Yeah. By the way, I googled dial a date. Don't do that. Uh oh. Don't do that. You're on a list. (laughs) You're on another list. Yeah, I'm on a different list than the list that I was previously on. And as I already said, she was apparently like really well known around the Baton Rouge area. And by 1994, it was reported that she was bringing home half a million dollars a year. What? And her client list was rumored to include men as high up as the Louisiana governor's mansion and maybe even as far up to as up to Washington, D.C. 
So when you say her client list, it was her personal client list or like for the whole business? For her businesses, yes. So, but she was like the head of it, so right. she controlled the client list, yeah. So so how does this work? Like, okay, she was she the one ser- servicing these men or she was just managing it? Or both? Both. Okay. Um, and, you know, I read in some articles that she was her – quote unquote number one girl like she she would actually take some of the Which, clients yeah. herself um but then she was also like you know managing yeah uh, or setting up dates with other for her other escorts yeah her uh, her escorts um and you know getting a percentage, a percentage of their earnings but if she does it herself you she get 100 percent. yeah yeah but not all not all madams actually Service, so, yeah, and participate, yeah. Not, not all of them do. So some of them just manage mm-hmm. and coordinate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make it sound so professional. I know. We're trying. I'm trying not to offend anybody. Yeah. But, um, so in April of 1994, uh, Landry was arrested and charged with pandering and enticing women into prostitution, including the transportation of minors over state lines for these purposes. And like I said, I really couldn't find much about this case, so I'm not exactly sure what led to her arrest. So is this like prostitution? No, like oh. like human trafficking. Like no, because it wasn't against their will. Because isn't human trafficking against their will? I, I don't know. That's my understanding. If I'm wrong, somebody correct Maybe. me. But I'm pretty sure human trafficking is. Like against their will, because like the girls don't in human trafficking, or not even might not even be just girls. I mean, people yeah. included in human trafficking don't even get a cut of it. Like they're basically like true, true, true. Like sex so it slaves, says human right? trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or co- uh, coercion mm-hmm. to obtain some type of labor, labor or commercial sexual right. act. Right. No, these were. I don't want willing say, and able. Yes, or, I don't want to say legitimate, but you know they were like employees. Basically, like they chose to do this, right? Okay, they weren't being forced. Like I said, and I couldn't. I don't know what exactly led to her arrest, you know. So, but I do know she was arrested in April of '94. So a few of Landry's girls, aka escorts, mm-hmm. testified against her for at trial. <laughs> yeah, how did she name it Charles Angels? Is that like trademarked? Was that? I mean, I feel this like that wasn't was, a legitimate business either. I mean, it was. No, but, I mean, was she licensed and, you know what I'm saying? Like, LLC, like... I don't know. Ooh, I should have checked the Secretary of State database. Because Louisiana has a Right, a but I don't... I mean, if this is this is illegal... Right. Not... Okay, and I'll get into this when I talk about the D.C. Madam. Not all escort services are legal, but we'll get there. But, like I said, a few of her girls' escorts uh, testified against her at trial. What? Mm-hmm. And through her entire ordeal, she still joked with the reporters about her client list, and it was reported that, or she was said to have flirted with the police officers who arrested her, and she even blew kisses to the news cameras on her way to God, federal prison. I wish prison. I had a picture of this woman. I know. I wish I could find that I need a episode. Face yeah. So, but throughout her entire trial, she refused to turn over her client list. She never did. I mean, that's kind of how it usually goes. Right. And honestly, if you're going to use an escort service, that's what you want. Somebody who's not going to, you know, release your your name if 
you know, if everything comes out and she gets There was busted. no mugshot of her? No. Oh, man. I did find a bunch of Sylvia Landry's, but not this one. Oh, yeah. So... So in July of 1995, so a little over a year after she was arrested, uh, Sylvia Landry was found guilty on federal prostitution charges and was subsequently sentenced to six years in federal prison. The girls working for her crossed into Mississippi from Louisiana, which is where the federal charges stem from, because you were operating like an interstate, interstate, you know, prostitution business, basically. So that's why it's federal versus state charges. You mean like... Like, they crossed into Mississippi to work. To work. Okay, yeah. Quote, unquote, work. Um, Landry also pled no contest in state court to five counts of pandering and three counts of enticing women into prostitution. Um, Pandering essentially equals to being a madam, like equates to being a madam, like I previously said, you know, a procurer of women. So, yeah, the legal definition is the um, typically committed by a quote, unquote, pimp is Uh, pandering is defined under state laws which vary by state Mm -hmm. but usually includes solicitation of customers for prostitution services and recruitment of prostitutes for hire Mm -hmm. pimp is the word I've been trying to avoid sorry so sorry if I yeah I was trying to avoid it too but hey it is what it is yeah on August 3rd 1995 Sylvia Landry just Walked out of a Texas minimum security federal prison camp. Excuse me? In Bryan, Texas. Wait, she just deuced out. Mm -hmm. And this camp was about 100 miles northwest of Houston. And it's very close in proximity to College Station, Texas, which is where Texas A&M is located. Just so you know. Like, when you look up this federal prison camp in Bryan and you look at it on Google Maps, you can see, like, College Station College Station is right there, yeah. Right. Uh, After her, quote-unquote, escape... I love to do air quotes all the time, but nobody can see No, but you can Um, tell in the tone of your voice. Yeah. So Landry was not caught for two days. Uh, Just a quick note. August 3rd was also the day that she arrived at that Texas federal prison camp. So she got booked, and then she said, I'm out with this. Right. She was very brazen, wasn't she? Like, Like, she just... But it's like, how do you... How do you just let somebody... Walk out? Yeah, I don't know. Minimum security, yeah. Well, I'm not, yeah, these, some of these minimum security prisons don't even have like gates. Like minimum security prison. There's not even fences. Like, wasn't violent? Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, like, you could literally just walk out. Like, walk out. I'm gonna be back. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. When Landry was captured, uh, it was said that she was covered in a poison ivy rash and was just devastated that she had been caught and brought back to prison because she knew that she'd likely serve extra time related to her escape. Then why'd you leave? (laughs) I don't know. So, after being captured and returned to jail in Texas while awaiting transfer to a maximum security facility in Kansas, Landry was found dead in her jail cell. What? Hanging from a homemade noose that she made out of a bed sheet and attached to, and I've read differing accounts, so I'm going to say both, um, that she was hanging from a homemade noose she made out of a bed sheet, which was attached to either the smoke detector fixture in her cell or a, a metal mesh on the ceiling of her cell on August 6, 1995, which... Is a day after? Yeah, the day after she was captured. Wow. Which... How, I don't understand how a smoke detect, 
tractor fixture no. could hold a body, the weight of a person. Right. You know, so, or I, I don't, and I don't know. Even what, metal mesh. I don't know what that means like what what is on what would be on the chicken ceiling wire? that's metal mesh i don't know yeah i think of chicken wire and metal mesh so i don't that's know that's so shady yeah like i don't know uh so yeah like you said this was one day after she was captured and brought back um and apnews.com reported on sylvia's death at the time and said that she had a telephone conversation with her father the very day she died and told him that he would never speak to her again. Wait, so she told him? She told her dad. Oh. Sylvia told her father, yeah, that um, he. this would be like, basically this is the last time that, you know, you'll hear from me or that you'll speak to me. I don't me. know how I feel about what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, like it's just weird. Uh, how could she reach whatever was on the ceiling? I don't know. You know Epstein, anybody? I've heard of people doing um, hangings from a doorknob. Like, um, you know the doorknobs that are like a little bar that it's horizontal and it it's, mm-hmm. it rotates, mm-hmm. I guess, at an angle? Mm-hmm. It's I don't know how to help you guys visualize what I'm talking about, but they say um, people have done it with like a belt. Like sitting down? Like but sitting. Oh, like but it's just high enough. Yes, to oh, where, okay. yeah, but... This doesn't make sense. Hmm. So, Sylvia's father, Joseph Ballard, told APNews.com, quote, She told me, Daddy, this is the last time you'll talk to me. They'll call you and tell you what happened, end quote. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Continue. Because <laughs> I'm just like... Okay, okay, but that could mean one of two things. That could mean... Because she's going to max security. I didn't or, that just hit me. Well, well, she said they'll call you and tell you what happened. So that could mean one of two things. Either she was planning to commit suicide or she figured she knew too much so somebody was going to murder her. You know, it could mean either way. Right. I don't know what I think yet, but um, uh, Sylvia's father, Ballard, actually lost another child to suicide four years prior to Sylvia's death. And he told APNews.com that he didn't take her threat seriously, saying, quote, I didn't think she had guts enough, end quote. So that was a sibling of hers? Mm-hmm. She had, she was one of ten. Oh, wow. Apparently. And I think she, I read somewhere that she had moved out into a friend's house at, like, age 15 just to get some personal space. Mm-hmm. I mean, ten kids, that's a lot. So Landry's death was officially ruled a suicide, but many people have speculated that she may have been murdered for what she knew about some of her more powerful clients. But at that point, she had already been to trial, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then there are people who say that they believe she committed suicide because she didn't She didn't want to go to jail. You know, like she didn't want to... Or prison. She didn't want to be in prison for six years. Right. You know? Hmm. And... But to add to the speculation, none of her employees or her clients were ever prosecuted. It was only her. Because her escorts or employees who testified against her likely got immunity for testifying. Yeah, and she still never exposed that client list during trial. I feel like if she was going to do it, yeah, she, she would have done, done it, done it then. then. When it, you right. know, after the verdict is reached. Or maybe she was planning to do it on appeal. I don't, I don't know. True. I don't know. 
like I said, I don't know if she had plans to appeal. I mean, I feel like it all happened so quickly. I mean, she was, you know, sentenced in July, and then a month, or at the beginning of all, well, I say a month later, but I don't know it when in July. Then. It could yeah. have been a week, depending weeks. on when it was. You know, in the beginning of August, she was dead. So, I, honestly, I don't know what I think. I mean, it could go either way. But I will say this. When I was looking up Sylvia Landry on Google, nine times out of ten, her name came up right alongside Deborah Jean Palfrey. Really? Because of the similarities. They were homies? What? No, what? no, no, no. Because of the similarities in their deaths and what they were charged with. Okay. And their occupations. Did they know each other? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. No. So, because of this, that's how I got to the link between these two, and that's how I combined mm -hmm. for this episode. So, now we're going to talk about the 2008 death of the D.C. madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey. And this one, there was a lot more on her mm -hmm. because it was D.C. It right. wasn't just Louisiana. Right. You know, I mean... There's like a ton of people in D.C. and a ton of really super powerful people, more than here in Louisiana. So I got a lot of my information for this episode from an HLN episode, which I think is like an affiliate of CNN. HLN. Oh, uh -huh. I'm thinking of the. What am I? Like the Hallmark Network? No, it's or, it's like an affiliate of CNN. I don't know I exactly what it stands for, but it was an episode of How It Really Happened, and it was called The Woman Who Knew Too Much. <laughs> And uh, that one is available to stream, so I was able to watch that one. So, in 1993, Deborah Jean Palfrey started a high-end escort service in Washington, D.C., which was named Pamela Martin & Associates. That sounds so fancy. Right? That, that sounds, sounds like legit. a law firm. Right. <laughs> or like a PR firm or something like that. Right. Maybe even an accounting firm. CPA firm. Oh, Jesus. There you go. <laughs> Um, and she ran this escort service for 13 years until 2006. And when the feds began targeting her, she fought back and threatened to expose the names of her clients. She was not about to play. Oh, no. She was not going down without a fight. So, according to Montgomery Blair Sibley, who was Deborah's civil, civil attorney. She had an attorney on retainer. Girl. <laughs> well, yeah, like he, he was one of her attorneys during her trial and leading up to her trial and everything. But this is civil, not even criminal. Yeah, you, you'll see why. Okay. So he, he was on, the attorney was on the HLN How It Really Happened episode, and he said that there were approximately 40 other escort services operating in the D.C. area and advertising in the Yellow Pages, just like Deborah was. Um, but the difference was none of those other escort services were being prosecuted at the time Deborah was prosecuted, nor had they been prosecuted in the time since she was prosecuted. So it kind of just begs the question, like, why was why Deborah's escort service targeted? Why is she being singled out? Right, and why not any of the others? So just... Which you said you're going to get into that there are legitimate businesses mm -hmm. of this. So yeah. was hers legitimate? She says it was. She says it was. I'll get there in like a few minutes. I'm going to have to read up on something. I'm so oblivious to what's going on as far as like what is. What, I, I talk about it. Classifies. I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. So um, Deborah often referred to her escorts as having the quote unquote Ann Taylor look. You know, pantsuits, 
sensible colors, sensible shoes, not big obnoxious earrings, you know. Not what you're not like J Lo and Hustlers. No. <laughs> Uh, Deborah instructed her escorts to dress that way because it was important to her that they didn't stand out in a hotel lobby, which smart, mm. yeah. honestly. So Deborah ran her escort service from her home in San Francisco, California. What? Right. According to how it really happened, Deborah would sit in her basement next to the washer and dryer and would take calls every night. She had three different local phone numbers, one in Maryland, one in Virginia, and one in D.C., and they were all forwarded to her cell phone in California. So she would talk to the clients and ask them what they were looking for, what they were interested in, and once she knew that, she would call one of her escorts and tell her, you know, when and where she had an appointment. Like, okay, you have an appointment at this hotel, room 201, at 7 p.m., whatever, like, and they would go. And the escorts charged $300 for 90 minutes, and they were required to send half of their earnings weekly to Deborah Jean, Deborah Jean Palfrey in California via money order. So she got 50%. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the money order is going to be really important. So Deborah Jean Palfrey believed that she wasn't doing anything wrong. She insisted that she was only offering legal sex services versus illegal sex services. And according to Deborah in interviews, there were three types of services in the adult escort world. The first is social service, which is like $50 to $100 an hour to accompany someone to a function or a banquet. Mm -hmm. So like I said, there are like legitimate like a escort services. Right. Um, Dial a date. <laughs> right. And the second is fantasy, which according to Deborah is where she operated, which was 100% sexual, but it was not illegal sex. Like massages, like that realm. Wait, what is illegal and, sex? And then the third is prostitution. And according to an interview given by Deborah, the only two things that are considered illegal as prostitution or sexual intercourse in any type of oral sex. Any type of sexual intercourse. Penetration yes. or okay. or any oral. type of oral sex. So Jeez. but like I said, she firmly she stuck by her guns that what she was doing was not illegal. That they were in she sold a fantasy. Which is a massage. Massages or yeah. Yeah. Such a fine line. Right. Oh, wow. So, flash forward to fall 2006, and Deborah decided, you know, it was time to retire from the escort business that she had run for 13 years. Because she was sitting on stacks, probably. Oh, yeah. She And she was just exhausted after working basically, like, 345 days a year, only taking off for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, you know, a few other holidays. Now, she was answering phones every single night. Now, like Sylvia Landry was managing and participating, mm -hmm. she wasn't. No, no, she, she wasn't. Was the, she was in California. She was on the whole other side of the country. Side of the country, right? Um, so Deborah was actually planning to move to Berlin, Germany. She was, she was taking her U.S. dollars out of here, right? She was in Germany looking at property and was getting ready to fly back when she realized that all her accounts were frozen. 
like she said in an interview she got on her Charles Schwab account uh-huh. and was trying to like move some funds around and it like basically told her she was locked out so she called um she called the, the number like the Charles Schwab number uh-huh. or whatever and the guy was like okay well, let me check on it and 10 minutes later comes back and says um yeah your accounts have been frozen because your assets have been seized by the u.s government or the irs i think and it was like i suggest you get a lawyer oh wow that's insane right so the government had seized about a million dollars of her assets oh my god and they were able to do this under civil asset forfeiture which you know this from yes you know this from your background Uh uh-huh but it's when someone's engaged in criminal activities, the government can go after any money that you may have amassed or earned, quote unquote earned, as part of your criminal enterprise. Monetary assets and physical assets. Right, exactly. Um, and they can seize it and then convict you and then keep the money. Like you never get it back. If they yeah. if they think that you acquired like that you said money, that, that money or, or those that, assets. That material mm-hmm. through illegal criminal. funds. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can take it. Yeah. So that's where her civil attorney came in. Yeah. Okay. So the case against Deborah Jean Palfrey was the result of a two and a half year investigation by the Internal Revenue Service or the IRS. Which is which, probably the yeah. red flag from the money orders. She had no idea though that they were investigating her for two and a half years because, you know, she's been quoted as saying, It was all legal, above board, like I pay taxes, you know, I she was filing her returns and whatever. Um but so the case started with a civil case against Palfrey. Prosecutors were attempting to get her to cut a plea deal, you know, related to the civil case. However, when Palfrey ref- refused to accept a plea deal, the government brought charges against her under racketeering laws, also known as RICO, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization. That's the RICO, RICO. Uh, for money laundering and wire fraud because the money was being sent through U.S. mail. The money orders. That's that fine print. Mm-hmm. So, Deborah Jean Palfrey was the, her case was the first time that federal prosecutors in D.C. had ever prosecuted someone on prostitution-related charges using the RICO laws. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. They, they, they and, locked her up. I mean, they, they yeah. hemmed her up real good. Yeah. And, I was intrigued by the use of the RICO laws to prosecute her, so I looked it up, and according to HG.org, which is a legal resources website, quote, RICO law refers to the prosecution and defense of individuals who engage in organized crime. In 1970, Congress passed the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, RICO Act, in an effort to combat mafia groups. Since that time, the law has been expanded and used to go after a variety of organizations from corrupt police departments to motorcycle gangs. Uh, RICO law should not be thought of as a way to punish the commission of an isolated criminal act. Rather, the law establishes severe consequences for those who engage in a pattern of wrongdoing as a member of a criminal enterprise, end quote. And, you know, I like to research the history behind some of the things that we talk about, and I thought this was a good place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, like, she's, in several interviews, she had said, you know, and, you know, they're prosecuting me under RICO statutes or RICO laws, you know? She was like, that's uh, Tony Soprano territory. Oh, no. Right. I mean, it still falls under that umbrella. Right. It sounds like it does. And according to Palfrey's civil lawyer, Montgomery Sibley, who I've already mentioned, 
Uh, if Palfrey had only operated in D.C. and never had an escort leave the state or never had money sent out of the state, the federal government would not have been able to charge her with anything. And the RICO Act wouldn't have applied. No, because no, it's a federal. Wow. Yeah. Why did she operate in D.C.? Did it say? Like, was she from D.C.? I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's so weird. Because she lived in California. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So, on October 4th, 2006, federal agents raided Deborah Jean Palfrey's home. And at the time, Deborah's house was on the market mm-hmm. as she was planning to, to move out of the, the country, yeah. as, you know, we previously talked about. So, the, but the day before this raid, so on October 3rd, two undercover agents from the IRS and the Postal Service contacted Deborah's realtor asking to see the house because they were interested in buying it. Uh-uh. Yeah, like trying to see the house, I guess, like under undercover. false pretenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the realtor wasn't able to fit them in, so they went ahead and just obtained a search warrant for the house. Mm-hmm. And the agents took basically any and everything of value, including like 400 to 500 applications of escorts who had worked for her in the 13 years that she <laughs> ran Pamela Martin and Associates. So they took a lot of stuff, but they did not take a few boxes out of that were left in her basement. But these boxes contained the telephone numbers of every single customer that had called her during the 13 years that she ran her business. What? How did they let that slip through? I don't know. So now, and it wasn't actually a list. It, I say it wasn't a list of names. It was phone, phone numbers. numbers. So now Deborah and you know her attorneys had the task of connecting those phone numbers with names of people. Cause so they were so basically her client list. So I guess she. I guess she didn't even really know. She didn't. I, I mean, in that I in mean, that realm, think if I she mean, had four hundred to five hundred applicants, right? In the imagine the, the number of clients, right? That's multiplied by that, right? So she hoped that she could put some of her clients on the stand and they could, you know, corroborate what she back up what she was saying that this was not a prostitution service, more about like sensual massages and fantasy. I don't know exactly what it's like I wanna believe her. I know, I don't know exactly what fantasy entails. Oh, wait till I play some clips of her. She is very convincing. So Going through the phone numbers was obviously a huge project. I mean, you've got phone numbers from 13 years. Yeah. So Deborah and her lawyer actually handed over the phone records to ABC News because they had the manpower that Deborah and her attorneys didn't. Mm -hmm. So ABC News could take the phone numbers and do like a reverse search to figure out who those numbers belonged to. Yeah, but giving them to a news? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a risk. Yeah. Because you know the media twists everything. Oh, right. So while ABC News was working on connecting the phone numbers to names, two names were somehow leaked. Randall Tobias with the State Department <gasps> and Harlan Ullman, who was a well-known defense strategist. And Tobias admitted that he had used Pamela Martin Associates but maintained that he had only ever gotten massages. Mm-hmm. And he completely denied ever having illegal sex. But despite this, he promptly resigned from his position. Yeah, because he's probably married. And uh, Allman, on the other hand, told reporters that the allegations didn't even dignify a response. So he just was like, I'm not even... Just ignored him. So in May 2007, ABC 2020 aired an episode where they were supposed to release a list of several names of powerful D.C. men who were 
clients of the DC Madam. I think it was like seven names they were supposed to release. However, when the episode actually aired, ABC decided not to actually release any names. The show only released the type or professions, the type of job or the professions of individuals who use the services, but not any specific names. So, Why did- of course, you know, Deborah Jean Palfrey and her attorneys were very disappointed, to say the least. She wanted them to leak it? Right, because, you know, she was like, I'm sure there's some really, like, you know, high up mm-hmm. officials in D.C., you know, involved or that are on this list. But, like I said, she didn't have names. So, after ABC fell through, um, Deborah and her lawyer reached out to an investigative journalist named Dan Moldea, and Dan promptly began running reverse searches on the phone numbers included in her records, and after going through hundreds and hundreds of numbers and pages, and uh, he's like, he was on the, the, they interviewed him, and he was like, I just had to pick a stopping place, like it was just, it was very tedious, yeah, very tedious and very labor intensive, and he was one person, Yeah. so he's like, I just arbitrarily picked a place to stop and that place was February 27th, 2001. Granted, she started in 93, so he made it through about eight of her 12 years. So on that day, he found a telephone number he had never seen before that was coming up multiple times. So he took that phone number and he ran it through the database, like the reverse lookup, Mm -hmm. and it came back as a name that I recognize instantly, and I'm sure you will too, and Probably a lot of our listeners, drum roll. <laughs> Louisiana Senator David Vitter. Oh no. Yes. And David Vitter was a very conservative Republican and firmly believed in family values, the sanctity of marriage, etc. He was basically a giant hypocrite. You're yeah. out there preaching about the sanctity of marriage, one man, one woman, blah blah, all this. I, and I remember hearing a lot of um controversial stuff in the media about Mm -hmm. him and but he was not only linked to the dc madam there was multiple other escorts and prostitutes even locally yeah i remember they had accusations of him hiring strippers and mm -hmm. whatnot yeah and like i said you know he believed in family values sanctity marriage he was like very conservative yet here he was on the client list of the dc madam Hmm. And naturally, this was a huge scandal. And David Vitter even gave a press conference with his wife by his side, apologizing for his actions and taking complete responsibility for his involvement, or, you know, in this. Um, so, by your man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so I'm going to, um, I'm going to play I'm this gonna... clip for you. It's a little under two minutes. Um. I just thought it was important to hear him talking, so I'm going to play that now. Let's see if it'll load. Let's hear those lines. I want to again offer my deep, sincere apologies to all those I have let down and disappointed with these actions from my past. I am completely responsible, and I'm so very, very sorry. No matter how long ago it was, I know this has hurt the relationship of trust I've enjoyed with so many of you, and that I have a lot of work to do to rebuild that. I will work every day 
to rebuild that trust. Wendy and I dealt with this personally several years ago. I confronted it in confession and marriage counseling. I believe I received forgiveness from God. Oh, I know I did from Wendy. And we put it behind us. Since then, I've gotten up every morning committed to trying to live up to the important values we believe in. If continuing to believe in and acknowledge those values causes some to attack me because of my past failings, well, so be it. In most any other marriage, and this is his wife, Wendy. This would have been a private issue between a husband and a wife. Very private. Obviously, it is not here. Like all marriages, ours is not perfect. None of us are. But we choose to work together as a family. When David and I dealt with this privately years ago, I forgave David. I made the decision to love him and to recommit to our marriage. You know, to forgive is not always the easy choice, but it was and is the right choice for me. She better than me. Right? And they say that they dealt with it years ago because this all came out in like 07-ish. And it happened. And it happened in like 01. Oh. February 27th, 01 is when he found his number. number. Yeah. They say they dealt with it years ago. I don't know if that's true or not. But after his apology, Vitter was able to continue working and was not forced to resign. He was even reelected. And if you remember, he actually went on to run for governor of Louisiana in 2016. But he did, he did. ultimately, he did not win. Um, a lot of people believe that Vitter lost because of his connection to the scandal surrounding his inclusion on D.C. Madam's What I show list. bad. Right. And like I said, it wasn't just that one. Act. Like, there have been multiple different prostitution-type accusations against him. Y'all Google this man and see what come up. Right. If you Google David Vitter, that's what's going to come up. Um, during the course of the election, Vitter's opponent, who is Louisiana's current governor, John Bell Edwards, even aired a mudslinging type ad about oh, Vitter's connection to the D.C. Madam. I want to hear it. Yeah, I'm going to play it. It's like 30 seconds. Let's see. Okay, let's try this now. The choice for governor couldn't be more clear. John Bell Edwards who answered our country's call and served as a ranger in the 82nd Airborne Division. Or David Vitter, who answered a prostitute's call minutes after he skipped a vote honoring 28 soldiers who gave their lives in defense of our freedom. David Vitter chose prostitutes over patriots. Now, the choice is yours. Oh my God. That's so, that's so intense. John a, Bell Edwards was not playing. He entered a prostitute's call over a patriot. <laughs> John Bell Edwards oh was not playing. Oh my god. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that again later. Yeah, it's in the links. Oh my gosh. So on April 7, 2008, Deborah Jean Palfrey's trial began. Shockingly, her defense did not call a single former client to testify that he did not have sex with Deborah's escorts. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> so the prosecution had lots of escorts who were working for Deborah Jean Palfrey that were called to testify. 
uh, the the escorts testified that Deborah Jean Palfrey called them and set up the date. They had sex. They got paid. And then they sent a portion of that money to Deborah Jean Palfrey via money order. And apparently that's the story that was repeated by all of her escorts that were So sex occurred. Right. Every time. So it was prostitution. It wasn't just a fantasy massage type situation. So according to the What Really Happened episode, like I said, this was a story that was repeated by all of them. And most of the escorts were called unwillingly. With, but they were promised immunity from the prosecution themselves by testifying against her, against Deborah Jean Palfrey. Mm-hmm. And like I said previously with the Sylvia Landry case, you know, her escorts were probably given immunity in exchange for testifying. Yes. That's probably kind of standard across uh-huh. the board, not just for these types of cases, but in general. Um, and one of the escorts even testified that she had sex for money with her clients around 90% of the time. So it wasn't a surprise. Because she took the call. Right. And she asked what they were looking for mm-hmm. and what they expected. Right. So now, what is the off chance that every time they, they didn't... 90% of the time, she they, had no idea what was yeah, going on. Yeah, they didn't mention that's what they wanted and they got it anyways. Right. And that was part of her defense strategy. Her defense argued that Deborah's escort signed a legally binding contract upon employment stating that the escort would not engage in illegal behavior, among other things, while employed at Pamela Martin and Associates. And doing that would immediately terminate the contract. Mm-hmm. And on cross-examination, Palfrey's defense attorney questioned the escorts about breaking the contract. So the defense attorney was trying to convince the jury of just the reasonable doubt, the possibility that Palfrey sent the escorts on these dates and the escorts just did whatever they wanted mm-hmm. with the clients and that she was not aware right. that but, sexual illegal sexual services were being And I guess since exchanged they managed their, for money. Own, their own money, if they expect she expected the $300 for 90 minutes or who... Mm-hmm. And or 150, half of it. Right. So if if they did $300 for 90 minutes and she only, say, they received $500. But still only said 150, only said she wouldn't know. Exactly. So there is that reasonable doubt. But then one of the escorts testified that she had a conversation with Deborah Jane Palfrey at the beginning of her employment regarding who was responsible for providing the condoms. Yeah, you know, whether the clients bring them or if the escort was responsible for bringing them. And according to the escort, Palfrey told her that the escorts were responsible for providing condoms. Which makes it sound like Deborah Jean Palfrey knew exactly what was going on, despite mm-hmm. what her defense was trying to make everybody believe and what she was saying. So the jury found Deborah Jean Palfrey guilty on all charges against her. Guilty of racketeering, mail fraud, and money laundering. She was facing a sentence of about 50 years but she would likely only serve about six. What? Yeah, I don't... Deborah Jean Palfrey was working with her lawyers on an appeal Mm -hmm. of her conviction while awaiting sentencing. So she hadn't actually been sentenced, but she was facing up to 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But on May 1st, 2008, her mother found her hanging in a shed behind her home in Tampa, Florida, just two weeks after her guilty verdict. 
So they got the guilty verdict, but they hadn't had the sentence. Right. She was awaiting sentencing, mm-hmm. and her mo- she was staying with her mother in Tampa, Florida. So her mother, Blanche Palfrey, who was 76 years old, discovered her daughter hanging with nylon rope attached to a metal beam on the ceiling of the shed behind Blanche's home. And her mother immediately called 911 and requested help. Whoa. Because she's 76. She couldn't get her down. Mm-hmm. And the, invest- the investigation into Deborah Jean Palfrey's suicide discovered that she left suicide notes to her mother and her sister, but the letter to her mother was dated April 25th, 2008, six days before her actual suicide, um, quote-unquote suicide. The suicide note to her mother read in part, quote, I cannot live the next six to eight years behind bars for what both you and I have come to regard as this, quote, modern-day lynching, end quote only to come out of prison in my late 50s, a broken, penniless, and very much alone woman, end quote. And the letter to her sister was not dated, but it read in part, quote, you must comprehend there was no way out, i.e., quote, exit strategy, end quote, for me, other than the one I have chosen here. As you read this letter, probably repeatedly in time, know I am at peace, end quote. Hmm. So she left notes. Police stated that during their investigations, they found nothing indicating that her death was anything other than a suicide. But this didn't stop all the conspiracy theorists online from going nuts mm-hmm. with this. Um, a lot of people believe that she was actually murdered, but then made to look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everyone who knew Deborah Jean Palfrey doubted very seriously that she committed suicide. One of her friends even claimed that the signature on the suicide notes was not her signature. Mm. And conspiracy theorists very strongly believe that Deborah Jean Palfrey knew secrets about some of the rich and powerful men in Washington, D.C., and that she was murdered over the threat of exposing those secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Deborah Jean Palfrey said numerous times in numerous interviews that she would expose you know, the government. Mm-hmm. I mean... Deborah Jean Palfrey did serve jail time in the early 90s for pandering, Mm -hmm. which is basically pimping, Mm -hmm. in California. And according to the documentary, she started out working as a cocktail waitress, which evolved into her being a prostitute. So she was a prostitute previously, but But not not in connection with Pamela Martin and Associates. Um, And then that evolved into her managing other prostitutes. So she served about... 18 months in jail mm-hmm. and she told her civil lawyer during the DC madam era that when she was in jail she was raped repeatedly <sighs> so when she came out of jail she was just a different person and those closest to Deborah Jean Palfrey said that she swore she would never go back to prison hmm. um, Deborah's mother said in interviews that in the week leading up to her suicide she was just distraught and almost inconsolable her mother continued that Deborah told her, quote, I can't live this way. Mom, it's live free or die, end quote. Hmm. And Dan Moldea was interviewed and said the following, quote, she told me on no fewer than three occasions that in lieu of going back to prison where she had spent 18 months back in the early 90s, she would commit suicide, end quote. And if you remember, he's the investigative journalist who was helping them with the reverse searches. Mm-hmm. And... But what really fueled the conspiracy theorists to believe that Deborah Jean Palfrey did not commit suicide was the similar quote-unquote suicide via hanging of another D.C. area prostitute slash madam, 
Brandy Britton was an escort who was employed by Pamela Martin and Associates for a time. Well, then she decided to branch out, and she started her own escort service in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Brandy was arrested for allegedly offering an undercover police officer sex for $400. Mm-hmm. Brandy Britton committed suicide by hanging herself in her, home, in her home right before her trial was set to begin. And I think this was like the about a year before Deborah Jean Palfrey's suicide. So in Brandy's case, police did not find any evidence that her death was not a suicide. Mm-hmm. So that kind of just... You know, especially because they're linked to each other. Right. They actually did know each other. Yeah. And I did find an interview that Deborah Jean Palfrey did with Alex Jones on the Alex Jones radio show in March 2008. Um, I'm going to play a clip from it. Before I do, I just want to give a quick disclaimer that according to Google, Alex Jones is an American radio show host and a far-right conspiracy theorist. So, take... Do that. Do with that what you will. Um, But here's the clip of Deborah Jean Palfrey actually discussing the possibility of her committing suicide. What the heck? Like a month or two before her death. Uh, So here's the clip. The the numbers. Yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, this is her. And 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 not to be concerned. I have no intention of letting anyone buy me off or make any kind of a deal with me. And you're not planning to commit suicide. So, like, she, and I don't have the exact clip of this part, but Deborah also told Alex Jones that she wasn't quite sure that Brandy actually committed suicide. Brandy Britton, that we mm-hmm. previously talked about. So, you have these two former madams or prostitutes who knew a lot of information about really powerful people, mm-hmm. you know, in Washington, D.C., and also knew each other and even previously worked together who both committed suicide by hanging themselves. Uh-huh. It just a little bit fishy or maybe it's just a coincidence I, I don't know I know it's so tough and, and I looked up a little bit about Brandy Britton apparently she used she's a prior like sociology or psychology professor and her life kind of just went off the rails so that's how I guess she got into prostitution I'm not really exactly sure because the episode wasn't on her I just kind of yeah. she just kind of came up as a possible link um you know, uh, why all, and part of why all the conspiracy theorists kind of ran with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, there are differing theories on whether this was a suicide or a murder. Um, I'm still not quite sure where I land. Um, I feel like she probably definitely had information that would be damning to a lot of really powerful people in D.C., but those closest to her, like her mother, have said that she was just inconsolable and just really distraught and upset you know in the week leading up to her death and that she was she said that she wasn't going back to jail so part of me thinks it's very possible that she did commit suicide and right even though she told alex jones that she wasn't planning to commit suicide that was like two months ish i guess before 
um, she died. So, I mean, a lot can change in that time period, you know, yeah. and basically, I don't know what I think overall. I know right. that's not helpful, it's like but I'm on both I sides just, of the fence. With her and Sylvia, I don't really, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, it's like, maybe Sylvia really did, which, if she did, the act of her actual suicide, the mm-hmm. way the smoke detector or the metal mask, that doesn't make sense to me. No. I'm not a physics or no. science maybe. I'm not saying it's impossible because I don't no, know. No, but, but it, it just, just doesn't, doesn't. I can't wrap my brain around it. Right. So. It does not compute. Right. And then with um, Deborah. De- Deborah Jean Palfrey. Yes. With her. Oh, I have a ton of pictures of her. I, I feel did like. Did you look her up? Yeah, I saw a couple. Um, I feel like with her, she had all the cards in her deck, like, in her hand. Like, mm-hmm. she could ruin so many people's lives. Right. And she planned on it. Right. I mean, she said in her own words that I plan to go into court and expose them. The government. So yeah. it's like, you would think the case ends there, you know, with her suicide. Mm-hmm. But you'd be wrong. Palfrey was back in the news in 2016 posthumously. Uh, when her former civil attorney, Montgomery Sibley, who we've talked about at length, um, tried to get the U.S. Supreme Court to allow the release of records from her escort service, which would have included customer names and social security numbers, which a lower court judge had already denied. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just be willy-nilly releasing people's security, social security numbers. Is that what? <sighs> yeah, it included that. But according to Sibley, the information in these records could impact the presidential election. In 2016. So the Supreme Court denied his applications, though. So I just found that really interesting. I mean, I wonder who was on the list that it would have affected the presidential election. Right. It's just interesting. So, was but it Trump? Was it Hillary? Was it, was it Bernie? Was it Bill? True. I, didn't I think did of, not have sexual relations with that woman. I mean, his track record. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Um... Yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting, and I came across it, and I couldn't not include it. Yeah. So just I wonder if they're gonna try and. I mean, you can't get people's social security numbers. No, but names would be one thing. But the Supreme Court denied it. But then again, it's in D.C. What if some Supreme Court justices were on that list, and that's why they're denying it? I'm putting my tinfoil hat on right now. Mine's about to catch fire. So, yeah, basically, I don't know where, uh, that's why I'm labeling this one as mysterious, because technically, it's a mystery. Technically, they're classified as suicides, as far as the police are concerned, in both cases. Yeah, so I don't really know, but apparently there's a term out there, suicided. What? Yeah, suicided, like... It's like a false suicide. Yeah, like it's you a were murdered, but suicide made it appear. To yeah, be yeah. Apparently, that's a thing. I didn't know that, but it is. Hmm. So yeah, so yeah. I don't know. Um, take with that what, what you want. will. Um, let us know what you think. Um, and if anybody has a picture of Sylvia Landry, please send it to us because I cannot find a picture of this woman for the life of me. So. Oh. Well, y'all, those are the cases of the Baton Rouge and the D.C. Madams. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, 
make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomegirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions.